Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good morning from Rockland, Maine, here at the boatyard. It's currently 5.32 in the a.m., and I figured on this lovely Saturday I would uh, just do a podcast about yard, yard life because that's what I am. I am a yard. I'm just the yard hand, the the low man on the totem pole. Mm. And I just woke up <clears throat> after a lovely Friday night. Oh, it's a little tired, a little foggy, but uh, you know, content is content. <laughs> it's hard to find time to actually uh, put one of these out, so I figured... Let's go for it. It's foggy. It's uh, just give you a little weather report like my buddy Murph does. It's about 62 degrees, foggy, not a breath of wind. It's like a traditional Maine day when you think about Maine. Mm. I'm drinking my coffee. It's not Dunkin', but uh, it's delicious. I make it here on the boat myself. And... Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm finishing up or just finished week number three of working up here at Night Marine, the biggest little boatyard in Maine, where service is king and smiles are free. <laughs> We're always trying to come up with new slogans about how great this place is because it really is truly something special. You know, when I when you look for things like or when I look for things like marinas or boatyards and stuff like that, I'm not looking for a cookie cutter, you know, everything's spotless, don't drop that piece of tape on the ground, uh, you know, it's somebody's talking too loud over there kind of place. No, I'm looking for gritty, uh, you got to gripe and and give as much grief <laughs> to everybody as possible because instead of saying you know i don't know good morning to everybody you can you can just start with a good gripe and i don't know for some reason it suits me just fine <laughs> and it's kind of funny too because uh in a lot of ways i find myself as as the opposite of that and and trying trying to actually fight that <laughs> When when it gets frustrating at work or anything like that, that's when I rise to the occasion. Uh, maybe that's why I worked in the service industry for as long as I did. Mm. Oh, that coffee's good. It's doing me really good. Oh, mm. yeah. I've always found that it's it's kind of funny when you work with oh, other people. I mean, now granted, I guess to to sort of set things up, I. I'm only here for, you know, month and a half, two months, and then I'm out of here for a bit, come back, help them out in the fall, and then I'm gone. So for me, this is, uh, I like to say that I, I'm not working at the yard, I'm experiencing the yard. 
and uh, I just have to do it from the hours of seven to four every day. But that works for me. It's great. So I I come in and just want to enjoy being part of the team, and that's something I definitely miss uh, from working normal normal hours and stuff. I it's so crazy. I, I can see how when I went out to do some of these big sailing trips and stuff, there's like for that first one, there was nine months of training where I was down in the Caribbean sailing around. Then there was the trip, which was nine months. And then after that, for, for year and a half, it was all about going and doing presentations and trying to see if that would, would work as a, a source of income and, and everything. And after punching that out for two years, then the pandemic <laughs> came along. So all of a sudden it wasn't working. But I guess my, my point is that uh, I think a lot of people got a chance to see what it's like to not, not have to punch a time card sort of for a while. And I have to say that I kind of missed I definitely missed working with a team um, and clocking in and out. I don't, I don't, I don't really miss managing people, uh, being responsible for them and their actions and their productivity per se. I mean, I I used to love, really love when the team was just going. And when, but I say team, I you know I was running like water sports places and sailing schools and stuff, and. When the team was hopping, the customers were happy. All said, "Oh my gosh, that was that always felt amazing." But then there were also points, you know, where you felt like you were doing the equivalent of banging your head against a wall, trying to <laughs> get people to do certain things <clears throat> in a certain way. What's my point? I don't know. I'm trying to trying to recall it. It's early here, people. Sorry. <laughs> you just have to. Oh, I don't, I don't even know. I, I, it's so funny. I can't even imagine somebody trying to listen to this and actually find it entertaining, <laughs> but maybe they do. So I wanted to just give you <laughs> some yard, yard life, uh, stuff, switching gears, switching gears here. So what I do here in the boatyard as the low man on the, to- actually, nay, I am not the low man on the totem pole anymore. Luckily they hired a new kid and, uh, He's more than half my age, and or less less than half my age, and so I am no longer the low man on the totem pole at the age of forty-two, and uh, I can give grief to one guy, <laughs> which I plan to do. Oh man, I can't wait! It's going to be an absolute blast because you know that's how you you do it. You give grief in in the right kind of way where you you know you're just including the person cuz you want to make sure that they're part of the team and once they feel like they're part of the team then they'll get a little confidence start working take on things you know if you don't feel like part of the team you're never going to work really hard why why would you you'll just work hard enough uh what's that old saying only work hard enough just not to get fired or something like that I'm messing those words up mm Oh man, coffee, coffee. Still drinking out of my Mighty Sparrow Yeti mug. Thanks, Abby. <clears throat> but 
Yeah. Uh, so at the yard, what I do is we move boats. Big boats, not really big boats. Uh, typically anything between, I think the smallest boat we launch is maybe 20 feet. Although here at Night Marine, we'll take your boat, big or small. Little plug there. I take boats uh, and we move them either from the water and put them on the land. And then I put these these fancy dancy little boat stands underneath them. Or we take them from the land, and, and that's what we're doing mostly now, and put them in the sea. But this requires <clears throat> quite a bit of movement and uh, per- precision, I guess is a really good word, and it actually is. So normally what we have to do is basically go in and this, this boat, which a, a sailboat out of water just is a, a very strange thing. If, you're, if you've never seen it before, if you're anywhere near a boatyard, uh, next time you see one, stop, stop and go check it out. Because usually, you know, because boats are for sale, people can actually go in them and look at the boats and, you know, it can be a fun little Saturday. We call them keel kickers. <laughs> people come in and they just, they're looking for a boat. They want to know what's for sale. And, and if you're selling the boat and you live on the boat and, uh, they catch you boy, it can be a whole day, whole day. But they're really great people. I mean, if you're if you're a, if you're a chatty chatty person, boy, it's a you will have a never ending stream of people if you put a for sale sign on a boat. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I I basically we guide uh, this crazy hydraulic trailer that's on the back of like a semi trailer or a semi truck. Uh, we call it the rig. I don't know. The the rig doesn't have a name. You know, for me, it seems like I name everything. Uh, all our rescue boats were always had a name, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, we just grab the rig or the truck and uh, the guy has to back it in underneath in between the stands and the actual boat. And sometimes there's a, like a quarter inch. And me and the other guy, we're sort of just guiding you know, give him the old hand signal, and he goes back in, and then then we can remove a couple of the stands, and then we put the hydraulic pads up, and they go and connect up. But sometimes, you know, you put those pads on, and the hull of the boat, it's it's such an old boat that uh, the hull's not really super strong anymore. And you can see it instantly. It starts to... And you're like, whoa, so you have to stop. And then we put boards under the keel which involves lifting very heavy uh, metal shoes is what we call them. Uh, But basically, these things weigh like 30 pounds. It seems like anything that I have to pick up on a daily basis, which, I don't know, I probably pick up maybe a 1,000 things a day. I think that's a pretty fair estimate. These things typically weigh between 20 and 60 pounds, and... uh, the best part is when you have to then pick them up and sort of run them over, uh, I don't know, five, six hundred feet. <laughs> and and typically you have to do that like six times because there's usually six stands. Great exercise, this job. Love it. Mm. But uh, so we get it up and we can get it off the stands and then we bring it out front here. To sort of the main parking area where we have a little bit of room park it there and then we bring the travel lift in 
And this is a big, it looks like something that should be out of uh, the Legos movie. So picture this big sort of steel frame that has four wheels on it, and it moves in just about any direction you want. It's very loud, uh, but it has two straps. And these straps, I think our, our travel lift, I want to say, has a rating of 35 tons. So that's 70,000 pounds. If my Saturday math is correct, which it is. And so that's the size of the boats we can, that's basically the largest boats I think that we can take, <clears throat> which is heavy. I mean, even when, when Sparrow gets hauled out, which I believe Sparrow's like 26,000 pounds. I mean, things talk about giving grief. Travel is like, why? <laughs> oh, man. But um, yeah, so we backed the travel lift over that, put the straps on, and even the pins to connect the two straps up, you know, in the middle. That was probably way. Well, it was probably some of the lightest things I carry. They're probably about 15 pounds. It's just a big, huge, solid aluminum pin. Slug those in. Then you go ahead and uh, tightens up. The guy tightens up on the on the straps, and then <clears throat> we can lower the hydraulic arms, then pull the, the truck or the rig forward. Then, then basically my job becomes uh, an extra set of eyes and walking very slowly wherever that travel lift goes. I'm kind of keeping an eye because if there's a boat in it, the guy who's operating it cannot see and uh, has to basically trust that I'm paying attention and will stop him if something gets in the way. Because here, we don't uh, only offer boat storage, but you can also park your car here. I'm not sure exactly how much it is, but uh, it's convenient. We'll take care of it. Bring it on down. I'm doing a lot of plugs here. I wish they sponsored this uh, podcast, but unfortunately, they don't. They don't. I don't even think they listen to it. Maybe they do. I want to do another podcast with Murphy. But so we take the travel lift. It's got the boat on it. Pull it right out over the water, over the slip. <clears throat> and as long as the tide is high, then we go ahead and lower it down. Uh, where we instruct the people. And this is where I come in because, you know, the old service industry background. And, uh, you know, instead of the standard... Like, well, let's, uh, you know, make sure that the water's not coming, try to turn the engine on, all that sort of stuff. No, this is the time to make your customer feel not in a rush, like we're there to help, and uh, he's got the time, And but you also have to give him the instructions, because it's really interesting. And it even happens to me, so this is something I know from my own experience, even though I do this uh, and have lifted and hauled all these boats so many times, when my boat gets in those slings, all of a sudden my tension level notches way up. So it's a nerve-wracking time. You're nervous. You don't. You, the last thing you want, and I feel this in almost every boatyard I've ever been in, except here at Night Marine, where service is with a smile, uh, <laughs> we... Uh, you just feel like you have to go quickly because these guys, and most times the yard guys will sort of yell at you, not here at nights, but they'll be like, come on, come on, come on. And you're just thinking to yourself, geez, guy, I'm just want to make sure we don't drop this thing. 
even though as the customer you have zero to do with the movement of your boat from one day we actually like don't even touch your stance don't do it you're not supposed to sign the agreement <laughs> the last thing you need is somebody being like well you know i wanted to move the stands because uh you know i wanted to do this or that and, and then the boat fell over and it's it's like okay um but anyway so you just come in and you're like all right i need you guys so uh head down below once we lower you down all the way into the water you're totally safe Check, make sure no water's coming in, and then go ahead and fire up the engine. Take your time. We'll make sure water's coming out, all that, blah, blah, blah. And that way, just they, you know, they feel good. They, they, they don't feel rushed because typically if you make them feel rushed because they're already nervous, that's when they screw up and they trip over something or they pull off the slip and they drag their dinghy all across all the pilings or they crash into the dinghy dock section or... They're not paying attention, and uh, they just rub their freshly painted boat right along the wall. I don't know. Those are just crazy examples. Not that I've seen that sort of stuff happen. Hmm. Uh, But then wave goodbye. Tell them to have a great season. See you in the fall. Thanks for using Night Marine. And, uh, And then they go away, and we move the travel lift, and... Go get the truck and go get another boat. But there's also, I suppose, the, the other, the one other thing is that, say we launch like four or five boats. Well, let's say we do a, a normal day, so we launch like eight boats. So that means there, and typically there's six, six or seven stands plus, uh, depending on the boat, whether it's a lobster boat or a sailboat, there might be between two and. 10 big wooden blocks that they actually sit on because the stands only hold it uh, in place. The boat's weight is typically sitting on its keel, the long fin where all the the weight is and stuff. If you just tried to support it with the stands, eventually the stands will just cave the boat in, no matter how strong it is. Um, But yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day or whenever you get a chance, if you get a lull, because we have to work around the tides here. So at high tide, we can launch, but at low tide, we can't. That's when you go collect stands. So first, you go down and consolidate, because you might have an area that has 45 of these these 50-pound stands all scattered around haphazardly, because when we're launching boats, we're sort of not in a rush, but we don't have time to, to grab anything, because once the boat's in the slings, then you got to go. But... Um, <clears throat> So I go, take all the stands, so you put them all in a row. Then I get the tractor and uh, go over there, hook the tractor up to about 10 of these little guys, big guys, and then take them up to the the stand field, <laughs> drop them off at the stand field, and then you've got to take them in and basically form these nice, neat rows. Uh, and then blocking is where you go around and collect all the blocks. But it just it involves just lifting and lifting, and I'll tell you, I <clears throat> at just after three weeks, I already feel so much more in shape as far as like upper body stuff, and even I guess my legs. Uh, I haven't been running as much as I wanted to. I should should be running a whole lot more. It's kind of cold though, and we start early, but the whole time I've been up here, <clears throat> I have stayed on 
ocean time, so to speak, uh, since the trip up from from South Carolina. I'm I every day I'm I'm up between about four thirty and five a.m. and yeah, just get up and try and enjoy the day because I I like to have at least. I like two hours before I go into work, even though I'm looking forward to going into work and all that, but I still want just this nice, nice time in the morning. It's, it's so good to have Sparrow on land and not have to, not have to deal with any of the elements. I guess still when it's windy, um, you know, I've got the sunshade up there. It's mostly the flags that are flying that, uh, sometimes have to come down, but but that's it. You know, when you're on a dock at a marina or at anchor or obviously out at sea, if Mother Nature wants to get a little sassy, you got to you gotta deal with it. And sometimes, especially out at sea, that means your whole world is going to be in motion constantly. There's going to be noise and uh, there's going to be things that need to be done. But when you're on land, oh, man, you can just... Uh, carefree <laughs> and and uh, a lot of people take this for granted but boy you know if you if you got a cup if you got some coin in your jeans you go down the street book a room at a hotel and just shut the world out for a minute <laughs> I think that's one of the interesting things about going out to sea and I don't know I don't know if uh, my tolerance for discomfort is part of why I uh, enjoy being out at sea for long times, or it doesn't really bother me too much, but man, I uh, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, Saturday. I might even just try and re-listen to that last minute so I can, uh, yeah, doing it. All right, let me pause here. Okay, yep, got it. I was talking about <laughs> how nice it is when you're on land. So don't take it for granted, people. If you wanna if you wanna feel uh sometime how how uh how much your world can be affected, come out to sea with me and I'll show you. I'll show you what it's all about. Oh man. So today, after after punching out an awesome week. Launched a ton of boats, dealt with a lot of issues and stuff. And we're starting to thin the old yard out, which is what you want to see. Basically, go from being a boat yard to a parking lot. Uh, very savvy, savvy business model up here. Uh, we're trying to start Murph's Electric. <laughs> where you can get all of your power cords. Rent them. Just go see the shack, the guy in the shack down there. He's drinking a white clam. At nine in the morning. Ah, the cast of characters. It's just so good. It's so good. Hopefully I will have a chance to interview just about everybody that works here. Uh, if I can get them to come and have a sit with me for a, a bit of a gam. But hopefully those will come. Like I said, you know, it, it's been interesting. I'm just trying to readjust. Because I basically have gone from being on the boat and working on the Appalachian Trail book and some other projects going from that to just sort of not I don't want to say intense but it's pretty intense manual labor because I like to move and shake you know there's a lot of stuff to do and 
and I'm the low guy on the totem pole, so I got to prove myself, prove my worth, <laughs> or else I'll get grief. I just feel like that's that's like the that should be the normal cycle. I feel like that's that's the cycle and how it was back when I was younger and working as a plumber, where basically you go in and you start as the low man on the t- low man or woman or anything. Uh, start as the first the earth. I don't even know how to how to describe human beings anymore. I gotta stop looking at YouTube. Start out as the low person, and uh, you have to you have to bust bust it out. You got to work as hard as possible, or you just get grief, and not the good kind of grief where it's sort of teasing and stuff. Try to you know make you make you part of the team. No, it's the kind of grief where it's like, oh, buddy, you gotta you gotta pick it up here. Jeez, Louise, and uh, and then. As long as you work hard enough, then and enough time passes, because you've been working hard for an extended amount of time, you have now learned a skill, whether you realized it or not, and you start to move up in whatever job that you get. So you get paid more, you get less grief, and then you get to start giving grief. (laughs) That's the Jerome Rand philosophy. So, I don't know, Jesus, oh. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Ah! Ah! Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny doing this broadcast. One of the things that uh, I I don't know if I just don't know how to do it or uh, or there actually isn't any sort of outlet, but uh, I put this stuff out there and there's... I don't I don't know anywhere where you can see any comments or anything. So I have no idea if anybody listening to this is actually listening to it or they're just being nice and they sort of know me through like some other person and they just subscribe. Because <laughs> uh, there's no comments. Not that I would, you know, well, no, I'd, I'd probably peel through a few. And if I saw one nice comment or something like that, then I would, I would, uh, I'd be like, oh, that's good. And then I'd probably put them down because, boy, I still remember when I first started posting stuff on TikTok, I was like a good, happy week or so of really just great content, or not great not great content, yeah, shaking myself on the back here. Uh, good comments, things like that, people being like excited, like, oh, that's so cool, da, da, da. And then people started getting a little snarky. And it's just about the time it... it when all of a sudden there were like a lot of views on a few videos. So obviously there's a little little jealousy issue going on. A little, little like, hey, how come I don't have that many? Let's put some mean comments. So I uh, stopped reading the comments. But now every once in a while, I got to a certain point where I was like, I, you know, I always say, I always try and remember that. That thing that Joe Rogan always talking, he just he's like, I don't read any comments, none of them, because it is true when people can voice their opinion on something, even if it says who they are, if it's on the internet, it just, I don't know, it's uh, it's just a gateway for criticisms and just going a little too far, especially 
the fact that other people, you know, I I wonder, it'd be kind of interesting if, if instead of when you put a comment or a review or anything like that on somebody's content, if only that person saw it, the creator of it, and not the rest of humanity who's on the internet, I wonder how that would change. It'd be like the old school days when, uh, you know, if you were watching, say even with famous things, you were watching a television show and you thought something was inappropriate, you would write a letter knowing that the only people that would read it were the producers of the television show, for example, I guess. I don't know if that's a real thing. But instead of, you know, people writing mean comments to hopefully get attention to themselves or going, you know, farther than they probably should, if they only thought that that one person was actually going to see it. I wonder if that would change things, make it a little nicer, a little less snarky. I don't know if that's actually even a word. Mm. Oh, that coffee's so good. It's waking me up now. I'm feeling the the brain juice is going. Oh, I'm in the middle of the yard, too. Kind of like uh, a diamond in the rough, if you will. I'm hoping if there's not going to be... Yeah, I need sunshine, but I want to do a... Uh, I want to do like a full-on wax the hull, but do it with a power buffer because, boy, Sparrow's paint job is getting a little thin. Um, it's a little tough. Put her through some paces. You know, when I bought her, she was just absolutely gorgeous. Had just been professionally resprayed, I believe, with all grip. Not 100% sure. I think I have the record somewhere. It's important because when you paint a boat over... You typically want to use the same paint. That's what I heard. But they even have here at Night Marine, they do, uh, they got a little indoor spraying facility. So who knows if, uh, if I end up having to switch up to a different boat or not that I would ever do that to you, Sparrow. Although I would, because if I don't start using this thing for what it's intended, adventure, then it's got to go to somebody else. That's for sure. But right now, not planning that. I'm uh, I'm cultivating uh, the next adventure. It's going to take a little bit of quiche, which I do not have, but I am accumulating while I take grief <laughs> and try to be productive here at work and save. Uh, but we'll see. I'm. Uh, it's it's a lot to go on these ventures, but I am I am finished with trying to go through international waters that people countries believe they own and can uh, restrict so i'm i'm just a blue water sailor through and through this next trip would be probably from the atlantic to the pacific and then back sort of thing uh definitely a long one but throw in the a little bit of a challenge leg where you go try and go around cape horn backwards Oh, well, I've already just said it, so I might as well. So here's the impetus for the next adventure, which would either start if I can get all my stuff together and and somehow uh, be able to purchase all the stuff, because I do have a lot of spare parts and a lot of long-life food. 
sitting unused after that debacle that was the sale to nowhere 2020 should write a very short story about that i think uh, at some point but the new game plan if i can get my shit together is to take off sometime in october from portland new hampshire or no portsmouth portsmouth new hampshire Head down the Atlantics, round Cape Horn from east to west, go into the Pacific, find the tiny, teeny little island that my great-great-great-great-grandfather was marooned on or left on for nine months back in the 1800s, left to guard the guano, the bird poop they were using to fertilize the fields of Europe because they were barren at that point in, in our history. And uh, he and another guy were left there. And another ship came along, picked them up and the guano, and uh, sailed back. So find that island, see it, try and, uh, I don't know, maybe go on it, uh, collect a bucket of sand or whatever, and uh, and then sail back. But to get back, have to go north up to the westerlies, and then head towards, sort of, towards Alaska and Canada, I guess. Down the trade winds, down the Pacific, into the Southern Ocean, round Cape Horn from west to east, the way Mother Nature intended, uh, and then back up the Atlantic's trip of about twenty-five to 30,000 miles, depending on how how the winds treat you, I guess, and how far north I have to go, and, and how far south I have to go, but the tricky part is I'm in a West Sail 32, and just like me, Sparrow does not really like to go into the wind <laughs> and seas. We don't like beating into it. It's uncomfortable. We're supposed to go with the wind. That's how, uh, you know, that's how boating started. Why why change it? And uh, I don't even know if it's possible. I you know Well, no, I shouldn't say it. I know it's possible. It can be done. Because typically, you've got these systems down there, so you're going to get north winds, you're going to get west winds, you're going to get southwest winds, you'll get southerly winds, you'll even get easterlies. I got easterlies. I had tons of easterlies out there in the old southern ocean. It's not just westerly crazy winds. I mean, you get a lot of that, but you also get becalmed a lot. Found that out. So there are ways to wiggle yourself around. Now, if you get down there, and it's just absolutely not happening. It's just not the year. It's it's. They say you get you get one good year and then two bad years down there. And I don't know where we are in that count. But uh, I know my year. I don't even know if my year would be considered a a good year or a bad year. I had a couple of cyclones and some pretty gnarly gales. Um, and you know people died. So I guess that would be count as a bad year. So who knows? But that was 2017, 18. It'll be 2021 if I go again. Uh, I digress. Now, <laughs> more coffee. Uh, so yeah, long trip, but kind of a cool trip. And, you know, I, I've never really been one for trying to uh, do anything. I don't know, trying to be the first or... or 
make a record or any of that that stuff. I mean, you know, if somebody wants to do that, more power to you. But it's not. I don't. Not trying to just get a trophy here. I'm. Uh, I'm just in it for the journey, which it just sounds absolutely tough as can be to try and get into the Pacific via the Atlantic and Cape Horn. Uh, really, really tough. But the backup plan would be to, uh, you know, tough it out out there if it doesn't work and I just can't make it. <sighs> I guess it would just be to turn around and uh, go basically take the route of old Captain Bly on the old bounty and uh, after punching it out for like a month and a half, he just turned around and crossed the Indian Ocean and then go into the Pacific that way. And that's, I would have enough food to be able to do that. So uh, then I could do it. That would be a very long trip. The tricky part with that one would be dealing with the storm seasons because it, that would be such a long, uh, such an addition to the trip because it would probably add, I would think that would add at least three months onto the trip. So it would make it almost a year. And I would have to, holy smokes. Just sort of envisioning it in my head right now. It would make it so that I'd be sailing again in September <laughs> in between the Caribbean and Africa. Oh, man, that was just not fun on that last trip. I mean, it was amazing because you could see how hurricanes are born. But, boy, it's, even even in their infantile state, they're still pretty scary places and uh i only had to deal with a couple of them but, but yikes so i don't know that's that's sort of the game plan at least at this point um so all i can do is just work really hard here in the yard and uh save i'll i the only big projects i need i need to figure out what's wrong with this engine because it's still messed up still the oil the oil is is increasing and it's increasing with uh diesel at least that's what my buddy jay says and uh i gotta sort that out and then it's mostly just gotta repair some of these sails and get them get them to a hundred percent pick up a few other sails get a satellite phone a new one because my old one's dead and uh, other than that it's just food and some spare parts and stuff but that's it, you know. Sparrow's luckily Sparrow's a tough old girl, and and the last trip, I had I was basically preparing for going and and Northwest Passage, Cape Horn, all that sort of stuff, and uh, I don't know. So she's she's ready because we we spent eighty eight days out there, and we only went through rough weather a couple of times, and uh, it wasn't anything like a huge gale or anything like that, so. She didn't take a beating. She mostly just motored along um, in calm conditions. So, kind of, it almost feels like uh, Sparrow was an athlete that went to a game that got rained out. So she was primed and ready for action, and uh, ended up just taking a gentle cruise around the Atlantic. Huh. Mm. All right, we're gonna take a little little break here. And we are back after a short intermission. It is still very early in the morning. And it's almost breakfast time, which I'm looking forward to because on Saturdays I like to make a 
a fancy breakfast throughout the week. It's either oatmeal or it's uh, hard-boiled eggs. Pretty, pretty, pretty simple. I've always had sort of simple tastes, but every once in a while I like to, uh, you know, fire up the old range, the old oven, get crazy, get creative, try and make something really good, take my time. I That's kind of one of the weird things uh, over the last year that I found before. I used to always say that if I could just take a pill that would be the equivalent of a meal, I would because, I don't know don't have time for all this cooking but uh somewhere along the line i i found that it's actually kind of enjoyable to spend some time i want to say i think it came oh technical technical difficulties there sorry yeah as soon as i got into making salads because they take some time to make a really good one when you make your own salad dressing blah 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 and uh yeah it was uh started started being like oh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take my time i'm gonna make this one really good and uh and actually just set it up so that instead of pausing everything else and cooking, I, uh, you know, listen to some music or turn on some sort of movie or something. Because it is typically just me on this boat. Lonely old, lonely old Jerome. Nobody around. Just him and Sparrow. I feel like someday I'm just going to be a big hermit or a little hermit. I have had this uh, thought... <laughs> of going and uh eventually getting to a point where I could own own a little piece of land somewhere and just get the boat shipped to the land and uh you know buy a couple of stands from Night Marine service with a smile and uh you know just set the boat up uh, in the woods somewhere wouldn't that be pretty crazy to uh and then you know obviously Many years down the road, pass away, and uh, yeah, there'll just be an old West Sail 32 out in the middle of frickin' nowhere, in the woods, on boat stands, in mint condition, just waiting for someone to discover it, like a treasure that's not buried, it's just in the woods. <laughs> I don't know, it'd be kind of cool. I did think it would be neat. Uh, I would have to build some stairs, for sure, because climbing up this ladder, that's probably the only drawback which I corrected last night, late night, because there's this one old set of, it almost looks like uh, airplane stands, um, or airplane stairs, you know, with the handrail and stuff, and I moved that over to the boat. Don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, I don't think they want me to use those, but on the weekends, you know, it's uh, Murph's in charge, so <laughs> I can get away with it. Um but yeah, normally it's climbing up a ladder and it's, I don't know, it's not bad, but when you have to do it a whole bunch of times, it's kind of a pain. And when you have to do it with stuff like groceries or laundry and, and whatnot, it's, it's not the best. So if I were to actually use this boat as a home on on some land or whatever that I owned, I'd probably, I don't know if I'd want to like dig a hole a little bit <clears throat> just so it could be lower. Probably not. I'd probably actually just want to build some nice stairs and build a deck that went either completely around the boat or maybe halfway around the boat. And uh, and that way it would just feel a whole lot more like a house because it is a little house sitting on a... I actually purchased a stool so that I could not have to sit in the booth, uh, so to speak, here uh, on the boat. 
But yeah, that's it. Uh, I'm running out of things to say because my stomach is growling. I know it's a short little podcast, but uh, we'll be getting some more some more interviews out. Hopefully, I can get my buddy Heath. He's he's number one on the radar because boy, we're gonna we're gonna just find out what it's like being a Maine lobsterman uh, from this guy. And then, like I said, I got a few more up the old sleeve, and uh, I'll be back in Michigan. Hopefully in uh, oh, a couple weeks, maybe, something like that. And once I get set up my, my camp, then I'll uh, I'll pump out the last few of those Appalachian Trail podcasts and hopefully finish that book, too. So that'll be pretty cool. But uh, at this point, yeah. Uh, just gonna try and do some more interviews and uh, keep that content coming. If I can, if I can get it to uh, twice a week, that's that's sort of the goal at this point, and uh, we shall see. But other than that, you know, the the only other thing that's still I I it's it's creeping into my brain the fact that uh, as things are starting to open up, I'm not sure what the best way to try to kickstart the speaking stuff again is i mean it's you know it's summertime now which never was a good time for any of the speaking stuff rarely ever got any jobs it was always the spring or the fall or the winter um summer everybody's just out and about nobody wants to go sit in a big room and i think there's still a lot of people that are kind of uncomfortable sitting in a crowd um so what i'm hoping is uh, that I can start making some connections and get the ball rolling a little bit, get back on the old social medias as far as, uh, you know, dates for presentations and places and all that, because I don't know, that that would probably be the only thing that um, I would postpone this next trip for is if I was able to sort of swing back into that because I can do those I can do presentations at places that I couldn't afford to do it before uh, because it was a lot of nonprofit groups, sailing clubs, things like that. And they just, it, it just would end up costing me money basically to get to wherever they were to do a presentation. And sometimes they could just put something together, but not a whole lot. And, uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, I mean, the first first bunch while I was trying to learn the business, I was just losing money or or just breaking even. But now that I have the book, that helps because I can actually sell it there, and then typically the the I get a big boost in sales after I do any talk, you know, with maybe like a hundred people in the audience or something. So we shall see. I'll keep you updated on how that's going because boy, I would love to be able to get back into that, and if I were able to do that for the fall and the winter for another year, then I would definitely be able to solidify my plans and and probably be able to purchase a whole lot more stuff that I actually need instead of uh, not band-aiding it together because you don't band-aid anything together and head to Cape Horn, Um, but having to go the less uh, funded route, uh, but you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are just like, well, won't you take sponsorship? Well, you know what? I don't want to. I'm solo sailor. That's how we do it. We we do it on our own. I don't know. I think I think that's one of those things where, uh, for whatever reason, it just uh, 
I want to make sure that in those future generations, if for whatever reason people still uh, read the book 50 years from now when I'm long dead and gone, one of the things they take from it is that you can accomplish so much stuff without any handouts and without having to have this huge amount of funding behind you. Uh, you can do it on your own. So anyway, that, I guess that's uh, that's my message for the day. You can do it. You, you can do it. <laughs> mm. Oh, now, now the big question is, and this happens almost every morning, right around 6.30. Normally, I would have about a half an hour or so before I got to go into work. Coffee's running out. Do I have a second cup or do I go the healthy route and just boil up some water, throw a slice of lemon in it, call it good? You know, break up those darn kidney stones. Not that I have any, but I don't want any. <laughs> I heard that's good. The old lemon water. Mm. But yeah, other than that, uh, got a little, got a few side jobs to do today, and looking forward to those. Should be pretty fun. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That is about it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll come back with more, hopefully very soon. Enjoy your weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this, and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, just go to podbean.com, and you can become a patron and keep the show on the air. Also, if you like the music at the beginning, the album is called Deep Teal, and the artist is Adrian Edson. It's available on Amazon Music. And if you want the full story of the trip around the world, the book, the Kindle book, and the audiobook can all be found on Amazon.com, Sailing into Oblivion, the solo nonstop voyage of the mighty sparrow. Fair winds and following seas.